Well, as I begin my sermon today, I want to remind you that of of the many, many big events that are going to be happening over the next coming week, that one of them is particularly significant for our church life, and that is All Saints Day, which is coming up on November the 1st, but that we'll be celebrating and commemorating, commemorating next Sunday morning in our worship service. And I want to make a special ask of all of you this morning through the coming week, that if there is anyone in your orbit or in your near contact that has lost a loved one in the last year or two or maybe more, maybe a church member we haven't seen in a while, maybe not, I want to ask you if you might extend an invitation to them in the coming week to come and to take next Sunday's opportunity to name and to remember their person in this space. I think that's a very simple and very accessible and yet meaningful way that we can be in ministry to the world around us in this season of our life and especially as we head closer and closer to the holidays. So I want to ask you to help me extend that invitation as far and as wide as we possibly can. And because All Saints falls on uh, when it does in the course of my current series on 1 Thessalonians, I'm going to be switching around uh, the order of our reading through this letter next week to look a little bit more closely at chapters 4 and 5 that speaks most directly to the hope that we have. But for this week, for this week we're continuing along in chapter 2 in this sermon series that I've entitled, Sharing Ourselves. Sharing Ourselves. Last week, when I began this series, I shared with you that 1 Thessalonians, in fact, has the distinction of not only being the very earliest letter that we have from the Apostle Paul, but also the earliest complete writing in the whole of the New Testament. And isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that the earliest subject that gets raised in a New Testament letter is on the importance and the impact and on the deep implications of you and I sharing ourselves. Yesterday, I had the pleasure of attending the memorial service for our former bishop, Bishop Sudarshana Devadar, who passed away just this past July. And as some of you probably know very well, he passed just six short months into his retirement after extending his term with us here in New England for two and a half years because COVID and the delayed general conference threw the whole church into turmoil. That, at least, was one of the very public ways that the bishop shared himself so selflessly with us, despite how difficult that must have been on himself and on his family. And it was powerful to hear from a number of the people who were closest to him and who knew him well, to hear their many testimonies of the impact that he made on them by investing in them personally, praying with them oftentimes, calling them in their time of grief. One young woman told a story on a video of a trip that the bishop invited her to in uh, the Taize retreat in France and how she was confirmed by the bishop there. Another told of about his warmth 
and particularly his intentionality in bearing Christ's name. And if you've ever heard from the bishop, you know what I'm talking about. Bearing Christ's name forward in his opening greetings, in his opening to every single sermon, in every single letter, in every single service, and would have his staff do the same. We learned, she told one powerful story about how that practice of his and and how that intention of his to share that with her affected her life and practice and outlook to see others through the lens of Christ. Because before they would say anything else, the bishop would have them say, I greet you in the blessed name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And then that shaped and changed everything. All testimonies to the way that the bishop, through the way he lived his life, shared himself. Shared himself and made a powerful impact on the world and in many, many lives. Not so much because of his words or a sermon he preached, but the life that he lived and that he shared it. Shared himself. Well, just that very topic is what this short letter we're studying through this season is all about. Sharing ourselves. And as the Apostle Paul leans deep into that subject, one of the things that he most wants to unpack for us today as we dig deeper on this topic is what kind of selves those are and need to be for them to make that kind of impact in the name of the risen one and how we go about becoming those sorts of people whose lives make such a splash. Today's chapter opens with Paul recounting what sounds like a very painful memory. He recalls that when he first visited this church in Thessalonica, when he first visited them on that very first acquaintance that he, that he had just come straight from the nearby city of Philippi, where he says he had been shamefully mistreated, where he had suffered, he says, and probably felt exhausted and beaten down as he headed off to that next stop down the road. But nevertheless, he says here today, Nevertheless, he bore the gospel in spite of great opposition to the Thessalonian people and did so with courage and with faithfulness, with humility, with gentleness, he says. Quote, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. And he says further, so deeply Do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves? Our own selves. I've taken those words as the title for my sermon today, our own selves, because there's something behind what he's saying here that's rather important and profound, I think. He's saying that his ministry, that true and effective ministry, is a matter of putting your own self, putting your own heart on the table. 
just as we see on our altar this morning. A heart on the table, broken and shared. Beating flesh and blood, living, embodied witness. Bearing Christ forward in the world in an incarnational way. Regardless of how tired and how beat up it is, regardless of how downtrodden and discouraged it may feel, regardless of how unfairly it feels it has been treated and how misunderstood, still, the real work, the real mission, the most effective and impactful work, he says, is still to carry it on still to keep it open to the world, still to share our own selves. We're being called to recognize, brothers and sisters, that the way that we bear it and share it is of the utmost importance for the work of God's kingdom. Utmost importance. And maybe most especially when we're beaten down and coming off a difficult chapter in life like Paul was. Because that's where it can really be seen for what it is. On full display. Tried. Tested. That open heart that's still beating and pumping after all of that. Still sharing the hope that we have. Still operating out of gentleness and grace still opening up the gospel of God's good news for the world in Christ. Working and moving on ahead because it's fueled by something more powerful and more animating than what his opponents are swinging at him. It's filled with more hope. It's filled with more purpose than the cheap shots and the uninformed criticisms can deflate. I want you to think today, I want you to feel today the powerful impact, the powerful testimony of a life that bears the gospel and shares the gospel like that. The apostle gives thanks here today in our reading because just as he has been faithful to God on this weary and hard road of his that he's been trekking, Now they, this new fledgling church, now they, because he has borne it and lived it and inhabited, now they, he says, have, quote, become imitators. Hallelujah. Imitators of his selflessness, imitators of his self-giving love as well. And isn't that the point Isn't just that exactly the point? To lead a good and compelling life, to be ambassadors of Christ's grace and open invitation through the ways that we live? That word imitator, which got mentioned as well in last week's reading, which happens to be a major theme of this letter, by the way, a major concept and word that we'll hear over and over again, imitators, And which I told you comes from that Greek word where we get our word to mime, to mime, to be imitators. 
That word might sound a little bit strange in our ears as a compliment, as it's meant here. You know, in our modern Western culture, it's a bit of a negative word because we so highly prize originality and innovation. That imitation takes on the connotation of being unoriginal, doesn't it? Or even a forgery. Or maybe a cheap copy. Very rarely in our days, imitation looked on positively, despite the, the saying that it's the finest form of flattery, you know? It's a form of flattery exactly because we place value on the original and never the copy. But did you know that in the world of Paul's day, most anything, any trade, for example, had to be learned through imitation? Everything you learned had to come through imitation. Had to be learned, that is, by a young novice apprenticing with a more experienced master. And not just learning skills by rote, but by imitating the fine techniques and the movements that can't be laid down in a textbook. And what's interesting as well is that this way of developing and perfecting a craft by imitation wasn't just thought of as a way to master a trade, it was also a way to master life. If you wanted to be a philosopher or a rabbi, you couldn't just open a book. You had to pair up with the master who was not only knowledgeable, but that lived the life. And in that way, you would learn to live it as well as understand its ins and outs. That, in fact, was very much the connotation of discipleship as well. Did you know that? Coming along to learn how to live a life and learn its ins and outs, its theology, its ethics, its rituals by imitating and living it as an apprentice so that you could then, as a master, bear it forward and teach it. It was a tremendously positive word, in other words, to be imitators of Christ. And it really requires the sharing, as Paul says of himself, in the role of a sort of master craftsman of our own selves with the world. Just think of all of the things that can only be learned well by sharing ourselves. How to welcome warmly. How to love and persevere in spite of pains and challenges. How to be faithful and skilled in carrying forward those small things that matter the most. How to be gracious how to be kind when the people you're trying to be gracious to aren't all that gracious to you. How to receive fair criticism and model what it is to work with it constructively and then leave the rest behind. Where else do they teach that? How to enjoy your life still in the work and how to find God's presence in a filling way in the work. All of these things, and I could go on, are things that we learn from watching others carry a life of a master disciple in their own flesh, as it were. 
And that's a big part of the point here today and throughout this letter of Paul's, that these are the really, really important things. And that our formation and our growth into maturity as Christ's disciples matters. Matters because that's where these sorts of things are learned and carried along. That is why I have been practically begging the members of this church every week to come to Wednesday night and take up the work with me on learning to be peacemakers and conflict resolvers. Begging. That's what Christ would have us learn to become together. That's where we take on so that we can carry it out. Who you become, who we become, church, matters. Matters. Our lives are already impactful to others in our orbit. But are they impactful enough? And are we letting them be impactful for the gospel? In closing today, I want to say that I am very thankful for the life and the witness of Bishop Devadar, even though I didn't know him all that well, truth be told. I am thankful that in so, so many ways, he allowed his own heart to be shaped in Christ's own image. And that he was so brave to share that so boldly with so, so many people. Go and do likewise. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.